Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hello, everybody. This edition of We Have Ways of Making You Talk was recorded before the coronavirus crisis began. Figiel Mestito, Figiel Mestitez, which is, of course, Hungarian for Achtung Achtung. That's a Apologies. mouthful, isn't it? That's a mouthful. Yes, well, it's a, it, I, I mean, you know, I'm just reading what's written down in front of me if you are hungarian and you've you're now rushing for an air raid shelter i've done my job properly but if not if not <laughs> if you think i've just ordered a flatbread <laughs> um anyway now we um we haven't talked much about hungary's role in the war but i think it's fair to say the nation didn't cover itself in glory right now we've really upset the hungarians it joined the axis powers in 1940 and took part in the invasion of yugoslavia and the soviet union in 1944, Hitler found out that Hungary was trying to negotiate an armistice with Britain and the US, and he didn't look so favourable on that. So in went the Luftwaffe to stiffen their sinews. It did not end well. But of course, what they really did was, you know, Eichmann went down and um, yep. forced them to hand over their Jews, and that extra yeah, bit yeah. of railway was built specifically to hurry up the extermination of Hungarian yeah. Jews. Yeah, yeah, you know, at Auschwitz, yeah. the famous railway that goes under the archway, that wasn't yep. there before. Built yep. specifically to take them straight to the gas chambers. It's absolutely yeah. horrific. So, ter- you know what yeah. what the Hungarians went through in the Second World War is absolutely beyond awful. Yep, has to be said. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, on a brighter uh, note. Uh, well, no, no, yes. So, so, well, first of all, how are you, James? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank <laughs> you. I'm a little bit a little bit wet. You know, with sort of biblical levels of water, wind, and now pestilence. It's a bit bit of a yep. worry isn't it and you're you're physically in wiltshire but your mind the the holland mind is in sicily right now right 100 percent, yeah no i'm completely absolutely in sicily um where um i find myself sweating just 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 reading about it because i'm writing about it because it's so hot you know it's quite complicated isn't it it's, i mean you've got that thing if you've got a you've got to squeeze it's like a ship in a bottle often i think these books are yours you've got to you've got to get the whole thing contain it and it's got to and it's got to you know read well be exciting be interesting be entertaining if you're honest Um, yeah that's uh, that's that's always the challenge i mean you know if i was just telling the story of sicily the invasion of sicily it'd be a kind of piece of cake it's it's again it's absolutely that it's that it's that structure of it and the thing is is you know the way i do these books as you will now know having spent hours weeks years of your life reading them um uh, it feels like it yeah you will know that there is a kind of sort of quite a well-defined cast list of players from kind of sort of top to the bottom through which you you know you're using to kind of illustrate the the human experience of war and insistently you've got italians military and civilian you've got germans you've got canadians you've got americans you've got different units you've got people in the navy you've got people in the air force you've got u.s army rangers you've got paddy main and the srs you've got glider pilots yeah. 
wow, it goes on. And it's re- just mastering all that is just really, really difficult because, you know, all of them have got these fantastic stories and you want to get that across. Um, and then you've got kind of the mafia as well and OSS and all sorts of stuff. So it's, um, it, it's, it, it's complicated. Is it more complicated than D-Day? It's it, it definitely more complicated to write, yeah. It won't be anything like as long as the Normandy one, but it is, um, it is complicated. But okay. good fun. I mean, you know, well, we I'm, I'm loving a, it. We, um, and, and some amazing stories coming out coming out of it. Um, just absolutely incredible stuff. And, and, yeah. and just hilarious stuff as well. I mean, really, really very funny. Um, and truly awful things good. as well. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm loving doing it. Excellent. And I can't wait to head over right, there well, with you, Al, when we, uh, when we go and do our, oh, little, I'm looking forward. our little TV I'm look, stint. I'm looking forward to the... The red wine pasta sunset. Nello right. Davila uh, and all the rest of it. Nigel has been in touch on Twitter and sent us a fantastic old letter from the Telegraph. Listen to this, ladies and gents. Um, uh, this is uh, from Brigadier F.R. Steer, MBE, retired, Paddockwood, Kent. Um, the old salute, this is titled. Sir, regarding correspondence on the term bollocks, there is a little known <laughs> example of its use to beneficial effect in 1945. Jackie Lord was the regimental sergeant major of 3rd Parachute Battalion and was taken prison at the Battle of Arnhem in September 1944. In his prison camp, he was the senior representative of the prisoners and challenged the German commandant over his failure to distribute Red Cross parcels. The commandant pointed out that, under the Geneva Conventions, officers were entitled to be saluted by prisoners and once the saluting commenced, the parcels would be given out. RSM Lord returned to the committee through which he ran the camp and advised them that he had agreed with the German officers should now be saluted. The committee was disinclined to agree with this, but the RSM invited them to watch, whereupon he left the hut and sought out a German officer. Approaching the officer, the RSM whacked up an immaculate household division salute, looked him straight in the eye and said clearly and with conviction, bollocks! (laughs) Believing this to be an ancient greeting... The German saluted formally and with a heavy accent responded, Bollocks! <laughs> it was not long before salutes were being offered by soldiers of many nationalities to any German officer they could find. The Red Cross parcels were distributed the next day. That's, That's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? What a great yeah. story. Sergeant Major of Legend, Jack Lord. Um, uh, he, uh, he ended up at Sandhurst, I think, after the war. And there's, there's a story about King Hussein of Jordan um, on the parade ground at Sandhurst with Lord going, King Hussein of Jordan, sir, you are the scruffiest fucking monarch I've ever had on my parade ground, sir. You know, or something. Some story like that, apparently. Anyway. Very funny. <laughs> my Very father's funny. told me that many times. Anyway, um, now, you've got a question, haven't you, James? You've, you've, yeah, I've got a question, which has actually come from my wife, Rachel, who wants to know about... Nepotism. Uh, I know, but, you know... My daughter the other week, your I wife this week. Yeah, we jumping, have got listeners. Jumping the queue. Jumping the <laughs> We've queue. We've got listeners. It's not fair, is it? Um, um, no. <laughs> but okay, but her question is a good one uh, and appropriate because you've been doing all your charitable work with blood and stuff at the yes, moment. Yes, DKMS. Yep. Yes, exactly that. And so she wanted to know, how did um, how, what, what happened with blood in, in the Second World War? How did people have blood transfusions and, and the kind of development about blood plasma? That's what she wants to know about. Well, I, I'll, I'll be quite honest, I don't really know very much about this at all. I mean, what I do know is that, um, uh, you know, the Allied approach to uh, a battlefield medicine was comprehensively um, uh, a million miles ahead of the, the German approach. And I can't, remember wh- I can't remember who made this, but I think it was John Buckley in, um, 
his Monty's Men book, he 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 makes the point that um, because that's a very interesting book where he kind of he kind of says, well, hold on a minute, if the British Army's so terrible, he, he posits a simple question. If it's the a British brilliant so book. Terrible, it's an absolutely brilliant book, that, a, and everyone yeah, should read. Really, it. really terrific book. He says if the British Army's so rubbish and so terrible, like we keep being told, uh, how do you explain the result? Yeah, and um, uh, we've got a point. He's got a point, but one of the points he makes, I think, that's really, really interesting is he talks about field medicine and he says that the German army, basically, if you look at the statistics within the German army compared to compared to the British army, men dying of wounds is is sky high and men dying of far less serious wounds than British soldiers are dying of is way up there and they don't have the field medicine. No. The, 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 the British have, they're not even close. And he says, if, if, you know, if you're judging an army... Um, uh, surely, one of the one of the, one of the ways you judge an army is you look at how it copes with its own wounded and what it does with it do, does with its wounded or with the with the wounded. Full stop. And he says basically, you know, the German army um, had not prioritised it, and uh, 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 whereas the Allies had, because after all, the Allies have got this the Allies have got this thing where they know that that how the wounded are treated is absolutely one hundred percent plugged into morale. And you know that if you're hurt, absolutely, you, you know that you you're going to be you, you you're going to be looked after well. And that's technology aside. That's medical breakthroughs. That's blood. That's uh, penicillin antibiotics aside. That's just like you know you're going to be you know you're going to be well looked after. And you know you've well, got a chance again, of getting home. Also turns down to this whole kind of operational level and also their kind yeah. of prioritisation. And and what the Allies very sensibly realise is that a huge amount of prioritisation needs to be put onto medical um, research, medical science, medical development, and also medical supplies. So it's not yeah. it's no good just just having the know how. You've got to make sure that you you set it up. And one of the first things they always do is set up field hospitals and all the rest of it, and yeah. and an aid post and, and blah blah blah. And by nine by the summer of 1944, U.S. wounded U.S. men are one in four is getting back into the battlefield, which by 1942, you know, by 1940 standards is absolutely, you know, incredible. And the yeah. two biggest causes of, of, of death are um, once you're wounded, if you're not killed absolutely outright, are obviously catastrophic blood loss and then blood poisoning. Yeah. So making sure people have got a, a lot of blood than clean blood is absolutely crucial to ensuring that your chance of survival goes up massively and this is yeah. where the americans particularly but and the british both really win huge amounts of points so obviously alexander fleming develops penicillin and that stops the blood yeah. going bad that's a um uh, you know that's antibiotics um and that is a total total breakthrough and that's something that the germans simply do not have no one else has you know yeah. the allies do yeah. the western allies do and no one else the second thing is blood plasma. And blood plasma is really, really interesting because uh, one of the great pioneers of blood plasma is a guy called Dr. Charles Drew. And Dr. Charles Drew is the first ever American, African-American, to um, get a Doctor of Science degree. And he's the guy who's responsible for this. And because of advances in refrigeration, they're able to develop, you know, store all this blood and develop all this blood plasma, get, have blood, you know, people are able to go to a sort of, you know, blood bank like they do today, give yeah. blood, it gets stored, it gets put in a fridge, refrigerator, travels over the Atlantic or, you know, into the Mediterranean or wherever it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and then you've got all this blood being uh, transferred from America, from Britain, across the Channel, into the Mediterranean, wherever it is, you know, southern Italy, Sicily, Normandy, blah, 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 and pumps directly into 
people who have uh, suffered catastrophic blood loss and consequently they're surviving and that is that is just off the radar kind of modern by 1940 standards yeah you know what 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 we consider just absolutely kind of you know yeah absolutely part of the course today is new and novel in the 1940s yeah because one of the things that's interesting for instance about the arnhem battle is because they have no they have no rear to 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 send anyone to those are all improvised hospitals rather than actual proper you know like an actual chain of medicine where people get sent back and also that uh, warwick and all the and all the and all the mo's who went out to arnhem have basically taken two days medicine with them yeah because after all that you know, uh, space was tight, and they were expecting to be relieved within forty-eight hours. Yeah. So, so you, you, you know, so they end up, they end up, they end up having to do those sort of um, uh, shares, uh, sh- sharing. They share the, the, the Saint Elizabeth Hospital with the Germans, or set up a hospital that becomes a neutral space. But, but the, the the thing about Arnhem is it's remarkable because it's completely unusual. Is that, right. that, that there's there is no rear there. Yeah. Um, which is how airborne soldiers operate you know they end up literally if, if they end up with the backs to the wall it's their backs to each other rather than rather than the, the enormous tail the operational tail that you're always talking about that that that, that you would have say in normandy i mean i think that the, the thing is is it's all part of the morale thing it's all part of yeah you know clean showers and beer and uh cups of tea and, and coca-cola yeah exactly well and then but then i mean in Burma, you know, you have slim shakes down the malaria um, uh, thing, doesn't it? Because if you if you got malaria, you went on this sort of five month round trip, never seen again. Yes. Uh, struck by the similarity between that and battle fatigue, where the, 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 what, the thing they develop with, with battle fatigue, combat fatigue, is they go, right, actually, we're not sending you um, home. We're not sending you all the way back. We'll send you to a, a, an area close to the front where you're going to get a load of rest get fed properly you're going to make sure you sleep for a couple of days and get you back on your feet and back with your unit because the the impactful thing on morale more than anything else was people people vanishing for no apparent reason uh 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 you know losing losing it or losing i I, I, I always talk about some loathe say losing their nerve because god knows i would have had none right (laughs) so so for instance you know when you read uh when we read the spike milligan bit where he talks about his breakdown He's sent back to a to a forward forward rear area, if you see what I mean. Yes, you know, it's not, yes, he's yes. not sent miles and miles back. It's basically <clears> casualty <throat> clearing, where they where they're casualty clearing people who've had breakdowns, get them some sleep, get some hot food into them, uh, and then get them back forward again. Um, uh, and of course, his he ends up in this dispute with his commanding officer because they haven't fixed me. I'm still not all right, and his commanding officer doesn't believe him. But 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 I'm. You know, the striking similarity with the malaria thing is that thing of, well, you know what? If we can fix people here and now, let's do that. Yeah. Get it done in a couple of days and get them back forward where they're more useful. They're useful. Because after, although although obviously the Allies, I mean, you know, the Allies are better at looking after people. They're better at looking after people because what they want them to do is be back on the front and useful. Yeah. Rather than, you know, the Germans have this sort of wastage of people. Um, because yeah, I think the other thing about kind that, of care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the other thing. I mean, the the problems they always have in that they have in Burma and and in the Burma front is just that everything is just so far away and and logistically it's just yes. so challenging. Yes. And I think you know what you you think. Well, hang on a minute. You know, so so Slim takes charge in kind of autumn 1943, and it's not until February 1944 that they kind of finally have a victory at the Battle of the Admin Box and stuff. And you think, God, well, you know, why is it taking them so long? But then you kind of just rewind a little bit and you think, okay, well. 
the early part of, of 1942 was when they were being defeated and being pushed back out of Burma. So that's 1942 care for. By the time they get to India, it's the monsoon. So there's no more fighting over the summer. Yeah. So by the time the monsoon's gone, it's November 1942. So then they attack again in the Arakan and it doesn't go terribly well. So that's the first time they're back on the offensive. And they've got to learn yeah. those lessons. Then by that stage, it's kind of monsoon again in 1943. So then they've got to sit back and kind of think about it all again. So it's, in a way, it's kind of not really surprising. It takes until the autumn of 1943 for them to actually work out what it is that they've got to do to, yeah. to actually go forward. And, of course, sorting out the health issues is absolutely right up there as, as a priority. And, and you just don't have that freedom of kind of – you don't have those ready supplies of – you do have plasma and you do have penicillin and the rest of it, but you don't have it in quite the kind of – readiness that you do in in normandy or or even no. in italy for example so you've got to just do the simple things right and obviously one of the biggest problems you're facing is malaria and okay let's just think about this a second let's make sure that we all take you know make an offense not to take your your um your malaria true, tablets yeah. and let's just think about this you know malaria doesn't have to kind of get you out of the front line for three months let's just make it 10 days two weeks and you so you set up these um malaria forward units these mfus you know which are these little tented hospitals just sort of you know five miles behind the line not 250 you know yeah. but you can understand why it takes time and i think sometimes that you know i'm sort of going off on one here but but i think sometimes we're, we're too sort of quick to go god you know what were they doing you know why did it take them so long and you think actually it doesn't take them very long really to sort out an well, awful the lot monsoon- of stuff the monsoon, by the same token, buys them time. It so does, you've, yeah. You've, you, you know, that, 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 that actually you used... I mean, it's, this is the thing of using absolutely everything to your advantage. If you've got time to, to go away, figure it out, that, then you use that time, don't you? Rather yeah. than stagger from error to error. That's it for now. We've got to take a break. We'll be back shortly. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kaye, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. 
I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. We have some questions. Brad West. Um, that, that's, I mean, that's a, Brad. you know, does he play Batman? Um, Brad West, I love the podcast, he starts. A very hypothetical question, but do you think there was a time during 1940 or 1941 where Germany could have negotiated peace and kept a large portion of their expanded territory? Whew. Well, Halifax thought that. Didn't he? No, there were people, I don't think there is. No, I mean, I don't. I, I don't. I, I agree. Not I don't think there is a. I don't think there is a time. I think once once Churchill has basically got the cabinet round, that this just never going to happen again. I mean, yes, if you dismantle the Nazi state. Yeah, which isn't going to happen. No, but that's the only. That's that would be the condition. They wouldn't say unconditional yeah. surrender, but they would say, you know, Hitler has to go, and yeah. the Nazi regime. And all your yeah. kind of unsavoury ideology that has to go, and yeah. then yes, we we would. But that's never that is never going to happen. Not in a million years, no. Not in a million years. Not in a what thousand if, years, even. Well, a thousand years. Now, what if what if, however, um, the Germans have launched um, Sea Lion on the twentieth of September? Because on the tenth, Hitler makes up his mind to do it. Sea Lion goes horribly wrong. Um, Hitler is deposed by um, I don't know Halder and Braukic or or yep. Goering even. Right, you know, because after all, the threat doesn't have to come from the Wehrmacht. It could co- it could come with, from within the Nazi party. Yep. You could see Goering in the event of that all going wrong. Going, all right, I'm I'm taking over now. Then is there a negotiated peace where Germany gets to hang on to France and Poland? And I don't no. think there's I don't think there's any negotiated peace where where they hang on to France and Poland. I just no. I just can't see that at all. No. Now the thing is, I mean, interestingly, if you roll this question onto 1942. Yes. There are moments where Hitler is saying to people, we may need to find a political solution to this. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't war. it? And then he then he changes, you know, then he changes his mind because after all, that's what he does is he dithers and prevaricates and changes his mind and, and, and flip flops enormously. Actually, it's what's, yep. what's quite interesting about him on one level is seen as he's seen as this very definite character. But actually, he's flip flopping the whole time. Yep. And in all 1942, he does he does sit down with people and go, you know, there, there's probably only a political solution to this war, actually. Um, and then people press him on it and he goes, well, I don't, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. But we've got to keep on fighting. We've got to keep on fighting because after all, he's also in love with destruction. Yep. And, and uh, you know, it's in 43 where basically the Nazis radicalised themselves completely to the point of it's Ragnarok, it's shit or bust and actually probably bust <laughs> is, is, is where they end up in their thinking, isn't it? And everyone's kind of wedded to that. By the end of forty three, certainly they know they they know they're going down. Yeah, completely. I, I'm I'm quite tempted to. I, I'm I'm. I don't think anyone's ever really got into the mind of Hitler. I mean, okay. I do think. Uh, I mean, Hitler's character is just so interesting because he doesn't conform to the normal kind of total evil bastard kind of characterization because he does vacillate, which stops him from being a total psychopath. You know, technically. 
Really? Yeah, no, a psychopath doesn't have any doubts. That's the point. I remember talking to a psychologist about this. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, I suppose. I suppose in that, in, in that respect. I mean, you know, I, I think I think we could still... I don't think he has to hand in his totally evil badge. No, no, no. I'm not, um, not suggesting for a minute, Al, that he should hand in his evil badge. <laughs> I mean, clearly, you know, he top trumps. He's right up. You know, he's the top of them all. Yeah. But... He gets um, 10 in every category. In every trumps. category. Um, yeah, apart from breath and... Bad breath, it'd be ten, definitely. Bad breath, yeah. Bad yeah. breath of ten, yeah. But anyway. but but, but uh, I mean, there was a there was a um, uh, Brendan Sims just recently did a biography of, yes. of Hitler, which was just pretty impenetrable. It has to be said, and absolutely nothing about his character whatsoever. Um, the the Ian Kershaw is the kind of standard work these days, but there is also this German yeah, yeah. guy who's called called Volker Ulrich, and I've read the first part, and it's absolutely fascinating. And he's just got his second one out, which covers the war years. And I kind of do, there's a part of me that just can't face reading it. And there's another part of me that really does want to read it. Um, but I do think he's he's such a, there are so many contradictions, aren't there? And I, and apparently the, this new biography does really kind of get to the bottom of it as much as anyone ever well, it's has. The, it, the, va- the vacillation is the really interesting thing and, and the, the prevarication. Because uh, there are so many stages of his career where no one knows which way he's going to jump. Yeah. And, and, and. Uh, and he'll he'll be I mean and this this is a is a permanently repeated pattern in his life where he says he says I'm going to do this I'm going to do the precise opposite I'm going to do this I'm going to and then he makes a choice and they embark wholeheartedly on that course of action yeah and that happens over and over and over again with Hitler and people talking about you know the the, the characterization you get a lot is he's the he's a gambler yes. he's an all or nothing gambler and I, I you know I wonder if I, I wonder if you could talk to a ga- like a, a someone who really was a gambler and say is this what it's like are yeah you, are, you, are, you, are you is this is your thought process like this every absolutely every major decision Hitler takes that it's all the chips isn't it he, he, he slides all the chips across the table and puts them on red or, yeah. or black or whatever or red and black in the case of the nazis right he slides them he slides them across the table and you know the fall of france is exactly that yeah that, you know, in fact, invading Poland is exactly that because he doesn't expect France and um, and Britain to honour their pledges. He does it again in 1940. He does it again with Barbarossa. He does it again and again and again and again. Yep. Although, I mean, I think interestingly, in 1940, after the fall of France and while the Battle of Britain's going on, he he repeatedly chickens out of the sea lion decision. Yeah, but I think that's the only way only way to characterise it. Actually, is he chickens out again? And he just cannot make up his mind, and in the end goes, "No, fuck it, we're not doing it." Yeah, which is I think which I think is really interesting because we tend to look at the, the things where Hitler weighs up these decisions. and goes, "Fuck it, let's do it." Yeah, not the ones where he goes, "No, actually, yeah, 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 that's uh, a really good point. That's too big. A, that's too big a gamble for me." We always look at the we always look at the. The, the things where he takes positive action rather than the things where he takes negative action. And uh, uh, after all, that a decision to say, um, do a deal with Stalin, how would we characterise that? Uh, is that Hitler, is that a big gamble or is that a smaller gamble? You, you know what I mean? Rather than yeah. attack Russia. Because yeah. after all, the, the, the Nazi-Soviet pact, Molotov-Ribbentrop, when you look at it, actually, that's a sure thing. That, that there's... There's every single reason for the Russians to do that, for Stalin to make that decision. There's every single reason for the Germans to do it, far more than there is for the, the French and the, and the British to do a deal with Hitler and accommodate Hitler. And there's far more, far more than um, there is a, 
reason for them to do a deal with the Soviets because they yeah. the, you know the British and the French have no appetite for that at all. No. So actually, the, 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 that's not a gamble on Hitler's part. That the, the Soviet pact, it's a sure thing. And we we tend to look at him in terms of the reckless gamble, the big chance, you know. And, and of course, because of you know uh, the, the fall of France is a massive gamble. Massive gamble. And weirdly, weirdly pays off. In fact, it's probably the only one. That pays off. Yeah, and he lives off it ever, you know, and he and he and he never he lets anyone forget about out on it. that forever. Yeah, I mean that you know that's yeah. that's what that's but, what the Battle of the Bulge is all about. But while we're trying to while we're trying to like um you know o- open the can of mental worms that is Adolf Hitler, um we have a question that I think um feeds into this. Go on, then. hi guys, fascinating podcast. I mean, it is right now. This is fascinating. Let's just say this. It's from Nick in Sydney. He says, having seen the Lenny Riefenstahl photo at the massacre in Konski in Poland, I wondered what was the worst atrocity Hitler personally saw in World War II. Did he ever kill anyone personally, or did he always get other people to do it for him? If, when he witnessed the actual horrific effects of his orders, did this change his subsequent short-term behaviour, or is this hopelessly naive? Keep up the good work. Cheers, Nick in Sydney. Well, that's a that's an excellent That's a question. really good question. Well, arguably he killed his um he killed his niece, didn't he? But apart from that, um yep. and obviously he's killed people Gilly in the, he killed people in the First World War. Um but no, I mean this is the whole point is he didn't go around killing people and he never actually said I want you to exterminate 6 million Jews either. Um well, the, the, as far as we know he didn't because there's no, the, 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 uh, no in, record in, of Gitter it. Sereni's, in Gitter Sereni's book, there's a story about Himmler going to see Hitler and and, and Hitler would do these um um one-on-one briefings with his with the with the with, with the people right at the top so that basically no one ever knew what had been said and yeah. there's a story of him look Himmler going in and coming out like two hours later and sitting in a chair and basically like looking looking really devastated saying oh the stuff that's asked of me blimey you know the things I've got to do around here to keep the boss happy and that even he he I mean even even Himmler was shockable, but Himmler notably is a guy who went to see what was going on. Which is why he wanted the, you know, he said it's... why it's too upsetting. For the guys who are having to do it. For the guys who are having to do it, the gore and and the blood and the brains of murdering people was too upsetting for his people. Because after all, you know, he had his, he had his... The SS was his little kingdom within yeah. within uh, within Nazi Germany. He was worried about the well-being of his people having to do this, which is why they switched to you know industrial, yeah, yeah. scientific. It's absolutely amazing, thing. isn't it? It's absolutely incredible, yeah. and that is really incredible. And I think I think that's as close as we get, isn't it, to um, to to uh, Hitler? But Hitler sees absolutely nothing. I mean, he sees nothing in the war. Yeah. He, he you know he does his 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 two-hour trip of Paris at kind of five thirty in the morning. Um, yeah. uh, um, and he does a little tour through there, but I mean, you know, he's famous for never going anywhere. I mean, it's, it's yeah. one of one of his big problems is he doesn't have the geopolitical understanding of of of, of many other world leaders because he, you know, he's, he's, his his world outlook is incredibly myopic, and he and he doesn't see anything. I mean, he he spends yeah. mu- certainly the second half of the war, large part of it is spent underground in a bunker, you know, like yeah. a wolf. I mean, you yep. know, he's, you know, that's why they're always called the wolf's lairs. You know, he's obsessed with wolves. It all goes back to Wagner and Woods and all this kind yeah. of stuff. It's all kind of weirdly caught up in his psyche. But I mean, you know, he doesn't travel. He doesn't go visit battlefields. He doesn't go to the front. You know, I mean, George VI does more visiting of the front than than Hitler does by a 
country mile. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. He just but, but his mailbag, for instance. I mean, the, say the T four program, you know, which is the which is the yeah. euthanisation yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever whatever you want to call it of disabled children. Um, that starts with a letter to Hitler from these parents saying, "We've got a child who's in a." basically persistent vegetative state if i recall right yeah. i may get this wrong right and they write to him and say look it's a real burden on us it's a burden on the reich and our child is suffering what can we do about it so then what happens and i think kershaw makes this point that then what happens is someone you know whether hitler reads the letter or not someone goes well there's a obviously a solution to this and so they set up the thing on Tiergarten four where they where they they got doctors and the doctors are murdering yeah. murdering disabled children and and you, you know, uh, you wonder if he knew, you don't even know if he knew that they were doing that. He probably did. Yeah. He probably, he probably approved. I mean, I it's a while since I, re I mean, we talked about the Kershaw book and you're right. It's the, it's, it's a long while since I've read that. So I don't remember the, the actually how up, uh, up to speed he was on the T4 program, on the Tiergarten 4 program, which then of course led to, there were protests, there was other males saying, I don't like it. We, 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 the church um, yeah. uh, uh, poured scorn on it. And then yeah, it kind of yeah. went underground. What clearly happened is he gets a letter. They initiate a program and he doesn't then think, actually, this is people being killed. He thinks this is fine. If, yeah. if he knew, I mean, the extent to which he knew about it. I mean, it, 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 it's such an interesting question because he is in this, he is in this sort of detached space away from it. His immediate, his immediate confidence knew exactly what was going on and had seen it for themselves. So yes, but he isn't going himself. around seeing, he no. doesn't go and see people being executed. You know, no. he, he's not seeing people being guillotined in the, in the central prison in, Berlin you know he's not he's not going to the front and, and I mean, witnessing the massacre of Jews he's not even seeing his own men being killed I mean you know or, or, or bloody I mean but but the July plot um accused he it, he does watch a film of them being executed doesn't he Yes, but, 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 but being... again, he's still not seeing it for kind of you know 100 percent real. Yeah, it's at I arm's mean, length, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, he is. It's 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 extraordinary. Not you know, unlike Stalin, you know, who absolutely has killed yeah. people with his own hands and quite happy to yeah. shoot people. I mean, very very few, uh, if any. Um, no, there's a few, but there's hardly any senior commanders are executed by Hitler on Hitler's orders. Mm. Yeah, he just sacks them. Mm. Um, yeah, and he also pays lots of the money to kind of keep in his pocket. I mean, it's well, he sacks them and very often and very often brings them back because yeah. he's because he's only got such a the pool of talent is only so large. Ah, well, that is a that's an excellent question. Yes. Um, I'm going to go right. I'm going to I'm, I'm going back to Kershaw and Frank Mc, Frank McDonough. It's Frank McDonough, isn't it? Frank McDonough, yeah. Well, and he's just published a second volume about Hitler, hasn't he? So. Yeah. Um, Maybe the answer lies therein. Well, I think we just heard the all clear there, James. Time to turn in and make sure the yeah, blackout is fixed in place. <laughs> Get in touch the usual ways, please. Twitter using the hashtag. And, of course, the, um, the uh, podcast's Twitter account, at WeHaveWaysPod. We will see you all soon. Cheerio. Cheerio.